This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. And perhaps we have those watching today for the first time. May I welcome you to our telecast today. We have those watching today who watch every time we're on the air. You say, well, how do you know that, Brother Lambert? Because they tell me. I have so many people tell me, Brother Lambert, I watch you every time you come on the air. And, of course, we are on twice a day, Monday through Friday. And I have some people tell me they watch us both times when we come on the air. That means some of them are getting up quite early in the morning. We appreciate that. We appreciate those in in countries outside the United States who are watching Getting to Know Your Bible. We want to hear from you. We trust that you'll enjoy the program today. And we're going to be discussing a, a subject that is suggested in the book of 1 Peter chapter 4. And the subject is entitled, from verse 7, The End of All Things. The End of All Things. I hope that you'll stay tuned because we're going to discuss some things I believe will be of interest to you. Now, on our telecast today, we continue to offer the free Bible correspondence course. I'd emphasize that it's free, and we want you to have it. And so we're going to pause for just a moment that you might know how to receive the course uh, called From uh, Getting to Know Your Bible. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-711-5211. I want to read just one passage from 1 Peter chapter 4, but if you're following along with your Bible, you might want to keep your Bible open to the fourth chapter because we're going to be looking at other passages in chapter 4, but just verse 7 to begin with. But the end of all things is at hand. Be ye therefore sober and watch unto prayer. I believe that the Apostle Peter was an eternity-conscious man. Uh, at least he was often talking about the end. For example, go back to chapter 1, and in verse number 9, he says, Receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Then down in verse 13, he says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation." of Jesus Christ. And then here in chapter 4 in verse number 7 he says the, the end of all things is at hand. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 17 he says what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God. In 2 Peter chapter 2 and in verse number 20 he says the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. So it, Peter talked about the end quite frequently. It seems as though he was eternity conscious. 
Now, it's very possible that the end to which he refers in verse 7, it would be the coming destruction of Jerusalem. And that's very likely what he had reference to inasmuch as 1 Peter was written somewhere around A.D. 70. And Jerusalem was destroyed 70 A.D. And so he may have been referring to the coming of that destruction. But friends, it's still the case that there is an end of all things that's going to come one day. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 24, the Bible says, Then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God. And so there's a time coming that's going to be the end of all things. Fact of the matter is, you and I are living in the shadow of eternity. We really are. In 1 Samuel 20 and 3, we're told there's just a step between me and death. Every person that's under the sound of my voice right now, including your speaker, is just a heartbeat away from eternity. We're living in the shadow of eternity. In James, the fourth chapter, verses 13 and 14, James says, What is your life? It is even as a vapor that appears for a little time, then it vanishes away. So our life is nothing more than just a, a vapor. It's just like uh, a fog that may be uh, burned off with a, with a blazing sun. It's here for a while, then it's gone. It's like the vapor that might come up out of a tea kettle on the stove. That vapor's there for a while and then it dissipates into the air. Life is just like a vapor. It's here for a while and then we're gone. You know Solomon in Proverbs 27 and 1 said, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for a man doth not know what a day may bring forth. We don't know about tomorrow. We talk about what we're going to do tomorrow, next week, next year. Ten years from now. But the fact is we're living in the shadow of eternity and we're only one step away from death. And in view of that, so how do you suppose that we ought to live? How should we conduct ourselves? Now here in 1 Peter chapter 4, we learn some things that Peter tells us that will be of benefit to us. How should we conduct ourselves inasmuch as the end of all things is at hand? Inasmuch as we're living with our death in view, living in the shadow of eternity, not knowing what the future will hold, how should we, while we are alive, conduct ourselves? Well, first of all, in verse 7, Peter says, to be sober, to be sober. A and that means to be in your right mind. That means to exercise self-control. That means to curb your passions. In the 15th chapter of Luke's gospel, we have the story about the young man that we often refer to as the prodigal son. And he asked for his inheritance. He went off into the far country and wasted his substance in riotous living. And he was in want. And he went out and he made a, a, an agreement with a, 
a farmer to feed his pigs. And he was in the hog pen feeding pigs. And the text says that when he came to himself, and when he came to himself, he made the decision to go back home and try to get back in good with his father. You see, he was not thinking soberly. His thinking was fuzzy. Titus chapter 2 says we're to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. I believe when he talks about being sober-minded, this has reference to our seriousness of our conduct. We're not to be flippant, and we're not to be uh, careless in the way we live. We're to be sober. We're to be serious-minded people. Life is serious. Death is serious. Eternity is serious. Someone wrote me and said, you don't seem to ever smile. Well, I enjoy having a good time. There's no one who enjoys having a good time more than I do. But when I preach the gospel to people, when souls are at stake, when eternity is ahead of us, there's a time to be serious. You be serious-minded. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says, Be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. So you see, we're to be sober in our thinking. Now with the end in view, Peter says also in verse 7 that we're to watch unto prayer. Prayer is one of the most needful things in our lives. It's one of the most helpful things in our lives. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 17 puts it just like this. Pray without ceasing. Someone says, what does that mean? It says pray without ceasing. I don't know of any way to explain it except he just says pray without ceasing. And we ought to be in a mindset that where prayer is a part of our lives every day. That we pray to God. Watch unto prayer. We ought to pray and watch for an answer to our prayers. In Matthew 26 and 41, Jesus told the disciples in the garden, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. So we need to pray. We ought to watch for an answer. Do you really believe that when you pray that God will hear and that God will answer? Sometimes we wonder why is it that I don't have the things I need in my life. Jesus, uh, James rather, in James 4 and 2 said, You have not because you ask not. The reason you do not have is because you do not ask. Of course, there may be other reasons, and there are other reasons our prayers may not be answered. One is because we may pray a selfish prayer. Another reason is because there may be sin in our life. We may not be in a covenant relationship with God so as to be able to have our prayers heard. Solomon in the Old Testament said, Whoso turneth his ear away from hearing the law, his prayers shall be an abomination. 1 Peter 3.12 says, The eyes of the Lord over the righteous, and his ears open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so 
If we want God to hear our prayers, we need to be listening to God. We need to be people that are righteous and people that are serving God and doing what is right. Watch under prayer. Most failures that we have in life likely are prayer failures. Now, there may be some other reasons for it. Of course, I think undergirding our failure to pray is a lack of faith. But when we do not pray, we do not receive. In Matthew 7 and 7, Jesus said, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. So, it, with the end in view, watch unto prayer. Be a person of prayer. And then third, we need to have fervent love and a forgiving spirit. Look, look in verse number 8. And above all things, have fervent charity, that's love, among yourselves for charity, that is love, shall cover the multitude of sins. The word fervent there means constancy or earnestness. There ought to be that earnestness about our love. It's not a hypocritical love. The Bible says, let love be without dissimulation in Romans chapter 12. Dissimulation is hypocrisy. When we say, I love you, let's not love with a hypocritical love. So what do we do with the end in view? We need to have that fervent love. And love is our number one priority. Notice again verse 8. Above all things, above all things, have fervent love or charity among yourselves. In other words, whatever else you do, whatever else you do, be sure that you have this fervent love one for another. And uh, in Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven, Jesus said that to love God was the greatest commandment of all. In verse 39, he said that to love your neighbors, yourself, is the second great commandment. And we're to have a love for people. Over in 1 Peter chapter 1, if you will turn back a page to 1 Peter 1 and look in verse 22. Seeing that you have purified your souls in obeying the truth, through the Spirit unto unfeigned love. Now, what is unfeigned love? Well, that's not a pretended love. That's not a fake love. It's not uh, an insincere love. It is, it is an unfeigned love. It's a genuine love. Unfeigned love of the brethren. See that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. You see, fervent love comes out of a pure heart. We have a pure motive in our attitude toward other people. So this is our number one priority. And the, there is power in love to forgive people. Now notice verse 8 again. For love shall cover the multitude of sins. This is not saying that when we love people we're going to, to overlook their sins. It doesn't mean that we're going to forget about their sins. It, it doesn't mean that we're going to ignore their sins. 
when it says that love shall cover a multitude of sins? Maybe James over in James chapter 5 can, can help us understand what this means. Listen to verses 19 and 20, James chapter 5. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth, one convert him. Let him know that, that, he, that he which converteth a sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. That is, cover sin. You see, love helps not to overlook, not to, not to sweep under the rug the sins of someone else, but if I really love you, I'm going to have an attitude of forgiveness. If you've hurt me and I love you, I'm going to be willing to forgive you. Isn't that what the Lord did? We offended him by our disobedience. And in spite of our disobedience, the Lord loves us. And the Lord is willing to forgive us. You see, love and forgiveness go together. And so when we're talking about covering sin, we're not talking about ignoring it. We're talking about forgiving it. And love indeed shall cover a multitude of sins. But then in the next place, in with the end in view, Peter says that we need to learn to be hospitable people. Verse 9 says, use hospitality one to another without grudging, without grudging. You know, hospitality is somewhat a lost art today. Can, can you remember the time that people sat on the front porch? Why, in the cool of the day, the family would be sitting out on the front porch and the neighbors would be on their front porches and everybody would be talking. And, and now a person's front porch is their backyard. And when they get in the backyard, they really don't want to be disturbed and, and, and they don't want anybody bothering them. And so we have really changed in our, our relationships over the years, even with neighbors that we have. But we need to be hospitable people. And I think that means that we need to be people because of our love for other people, that we want to do everything we can to associate with them, to help them, to, to even have them in our homes. You know, love and hospitality somewhat go together. Have you ever thought about that? Let, let's go back to 1 Peter 4 and verse 8. Above all things, have fervent love among yourselves, and then use hospitality one to another. In Hebrews chapter 13 and 1, the Bible says, Let brotherly love continue. Then verse 2 says, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, but thereby some have entertained angels unawares. There you have love, then hospitality. Hebrews 13, 1 and 2. In 1 Peter 4, 8 and 9, you have love first and then hospitality. Hospitality grows out of love. So we ought to be people that are hospitable people. But some people are rather hostile people. And they're hard to be around, difficult to associate with. We need to be people that are different. Use hospitality one 
toward another. And then next Peter says we ought to serve so as to glorify God. I want you to look at verse 10 now. Is every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same to one another as good stewards, good stewards of the manifold grace of God. And now verse 11. If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as a, of the ability which God giveth. That God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now what we learn out of those two verses, with the end in view, we ought to serve so as to glorify God. He said every man is a, is a steward. And we're, good, we're to be good steward, stewards of the manifold grace of God, verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 says, It's required in stewards that a man be found faithful. I believe if we look at the context here, he, he's talking about the fact that we ought to be good stewards of the abilities and opportunities that God gives to us. God has blessed us in so many ways. For example, you have been blessed to live in a land of freedom. Perhaps some that are watching the telecast now in some other country of the world may not have been so blessed. But in America, we are blessed with freedom. And inasmuch as we are blessed with freedom, we have the opportunity to serve God. Why, you have the opportunity to become a Christian. You have an opportunity to, to obey the gospel. Even this very hour, you have that opportunity. And, and I would encourage you to do that. You're a steward of the, of the teaching that you have received. That is, you're to use it wisely. And I would encourage you as a believer in Jesus Christ, to repent of your sins, to confess that you believe in Christ. Be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins, and the Lord will add you to the church, according to Acts 2.47. And you can serve faithfully in the church and use the talents and use the abilities that God's given to you as a good steward. But another part of serving uh, so as to glorify God is our speaking so as to glorify him. Verse 11 says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Now that simply means that we're only to say what God would want us to say. We're to say only what God has revealed to us. I cannot tell you something that God did not say. If I do, I do so at the expense of, put, at the expense of putting my soul in jeopardy. I can only tell you what God says, if any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. In the language of Paul in Titus chapter 2, I'm to use sound speech, sound words that cannot be condemned. Everything that we do in our life ought to have one purpose. And that one purpose in our life ought to be to glorify God. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, Paul said, Whether we eat or whether we drink, whatsoever you do, do it all, do it all to the glory of God. In Matthew 5 and 16, Jesus said, Let your light so shine before men 
that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So I believe that our real purpose in living is to glorify God. I've often told the church where I preach, our purpose is to bring glory to God. Every sermon that is preached, every song that is sung, every prayer that is prayed, every cup of cold water you might give in the name of the Lord, every pie every, that you might bake for a family that is in need, every, every meal that you might send to the home of someone that's bereaved, everything we do is to bring honor and glory to God. Every sermon I preach on this telecast, is not to bring glory to the speaker. It's to glorify God in heaven. You see, the end is at hand. We're living in the shadow of eternity. We cannot afford to do less. But with the end in view, expect for some people not to like you. Somebody says, you mean that, Brother Lambert? Well, let me read verse 12 to you. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. He said, now don't think it's odd, don't think it's unusual, don't think it's strange if some fiery trial comes your way if there are people that do not like you. You see, you can expect it. Isn't that what Paul meant in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 12? That all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So, so see, you, living the Christian life is not always a bed of roses. This idea that if you will just give your life to the Lord, turn it all over to Him, that He's the great problem solver, and you will never have another problem in your life. You can just sit back in your recliner and relax, and there will never be another difficulty. Let me read verse 12 again. Don't think it's strange concerning the fire trial that's to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice inasmuch as you're partakers of Christ's sufferings. Jesus suffered, and we can expect it too. Oh, the end is at, is at hand. Let's give our life to the Lord. Do it today. Please do it today. Before we close today, let me give you a personal invitation to visit the church of Christ that's nearest to you. If you're not certain where it's located, call us. We'll get the information for you. And please right now pick up the telephone. Call for the free Bible correspondence course. Do it today. I want to thank you for watching until we meet again. May the Lord bless you and keep you is my prayer. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to 
Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bibles.